think, my goodness, where's all that voice, all of those voices coming from? I know we're not piping them in. Uh, they sing because they love to sing for the Lord. As one fellow in the first service got up about halfway through and left. I thought, wow, I pushed him over the brink. And he came in right before this service started. He said, I want to apologize for getting up and leaving. He said, I was reading ahead in the Bible where Jesus was walking on the water. And I thought I left my pool water on at home. And he said, I got home and it was this far from the top. So he came back all the way to apologize. I don't know. That's, that's the first. There's always a first. You know that? That's what happens when you read ahead. John chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. One of the great reasons that Jesus was so popular was the fact that he healed people's illnesses and sicknesses. The word signs is an interesting thing. I like for you to remember that in the Bible there are synonyms for the word miracle. They are signs, miracles, and wonders. All three of those are essentially the same thing. Um, a sign is something that points to something. You know, when you drive down the road, you see a sign. It, it's pointing you to something. It wants you to do something. Uh, that's what a miracle is in the Bible. A multitude followed him because he really dealt with all their illnesses. In verse number three, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. We believe the reason why Jesus was retreating uh, for a time of rest is because the people crushed in upon him. People are very trying, aren't they? You know, you get together a group of people and you listen and all the discussion and all their interaction and you say, man, I'm tired. You know, this is wearing me out. Well, Jesus, uh, remember, was not only God, but he was, uh, but he was human. He was a man. And he grew tired. Remember, we talked about him growing weary at the well. And so all the emotional things that were happening with all these sick people wore him down. And he liked to get away. He had to get away. Verse number four. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Uh, Philip, I understand by reading, was from this area. He knew the territory. And Jesus knew that he would know where they could buy food. And so he was the, probably the purchasing agent for the group. And so he asked Philip, Philip, where can we, where can we find food for all these people? But, but this he said to test him. I'd like for you to circle or underline the word test there because that's really important. And we're going to see in a minute that God always tests his people. You and I, if we have declared our faith in Jesus, are in for many, many testings in life. Not for our detriment, but for our development. God's testing is always to make us better. And so he had something in store here for Philip. Verse 6. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He just wanted to see how Philip 
was going to react to the situation. All these people coming and no food to give them. But this he said to test him. In verse 7, Philip answered and said, 200 denarii. Now, I certainly don't know what that means. Denarii. But through reading, I figured it out. It meant about eight months of salary for a common worker. That's a lot of money. So Philip looked over the crowd and he kind of went into his computer and he said, look, it looks to me like um, it's, it's this amount. And even if we got that amount, he says here, it, that everyone would just have a very small portion. Verse number eight says, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Andrew always lived in the shadow of his brother Peter. And I can't help believe that he was kind of always introduced this way. Andrew, here's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That would kind of like be intimidating, wouldn't it? In the first service, I was, uh, I was talking about Dave Grakowski. Uh, and uh, Dave came to our church many years ago and his younger brother over here. And Dave was kind of like a spiritual superstar in the church. He really was. Man, I think he still is to this day. He goes to Bible college. He's in the ministry. But then there was his younger brother, Keith. And uh, it was always like Dave, uh, Keith, brother of Dave, you know. Now Dave's gone and Keith kind of grew up. And I'll tell you, Keith's coming on strong for the Lord. So you don't have to live in the, in the shadow of your brother, okay, Keith? But uh, that's the way brothers are. You know, if you have two brothers, one sometimes lives in the shadow of the other. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, went out and look what happened in verse number nine. There is a lad there who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Andrew did a survey and he finally came up with a little bit of food and he says, listen, this is not going to work. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Uh, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, and I've underlined that because that's really important. Uh, you know, in our home, my mother and father always prayed before we ate. And, uh, you know, I know sometimes we're so busy, you know, we just kind of gulp it down and and I, but whenever I do that, and I do that from time to time, I, I kind of feel like something's missing here. I missed it some, somehow. The ancient Jews had a custom that they would not only pray before they ate, but they would pray also after they ate. And here we find that Jesus is doing the very same thing. He's breaking the, the bread. He's going to serve the, the food which he prepared here. And he gives thanks to God. And then he distributes them, these to his disciples. And then his disciples distribute them among the people. Verse 12. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so nothing is lost. Uh, Jesus didn't like to waste anything. He wasn't in the wasting business. And many of you grew up in homes where your parents used to threaten you with your life if you left anything on your plate, right? And uh, they got it right here. Jesus said, listen, gather up the remains. Don't throw it away. Gather it up. We'll take it home. Uh, verse 13, therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this truly is the prophet 
Now, underline that, please. The prophet. Because uh, that's important. Moses made a prophecy in the Old Testament that one day a prophet like him would come into the world. And so, through this particular sign that Jesus was giving, they said, hey, this is the one prophesied by Moses. He's the prophet. And verse 15, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. They wanted to make Jesus the king at this time, but he was unwilling because he had a higher mission. And his mission was not to be the lion from the tribe of Judah then, but it was to be the, the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sin of the world. And so I'd like to talk to you today about Jesus meeting the needs of his people. The point of our lesson this morning is this. Jesus proves his ability to provide. Uh, the book of John is so exciting to me, and I always ask people, whenever you start to read the Bible, read the book of John first. The reason why I do that is because of what John 20, verse 30 and 31 says. It says this. Many other miracles did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, the book of John. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing that you might have life through his name. The book of John is the book of salvation. That's why, you know, maybe sometimes somebody's standing on the corner, they're passing out the book of John. Because the book of John was particularly uh, put together so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and how it was put together, it was put together this way. John selected eight of our Lord's miracles. There are eight there. And he chose them because they would convince the reader that Jesus indeed was more than the carpenter of Nazareth. That he was indeed the promised Messiah, the Son of God. And whenever somebody sees Jesus in that light, they have to listen to him. And they, they are drawn to his majesty and to his salvation. And so, here we find just one of those miracles that are mentioned. I guess we could call this the feeding of the 15,000 or the 20,000, really, technically. Because wherever you have 5,000 men, you have what? Some of them, I'm sure, brought their wives along to hear Jesus. And if the wives had to come, the kids had to come too. And so, if you read biblical commentaries on this, many commentators believe there were at least 15,000 people here. Uh, and so, but we're not going to start calling it feeding of the 15,000 because that'll mess your mind up and you won't be able to remember. Uh, Nicodemus, remember, was attracted to Jesus in John chapter 3. You know what he said? No man can do these miracles except God is with him. Jesus really was propelled in his ministry by his miracles. Uh, I, I love uh, the harmony of the Gospels. You know what that is? The chronology of the Gospels? In the New Living Translation, at the end of the book of John, there, there is this little section called the harmony of the Gospels, and the events of Christ's life are listed by number. It's so cool. And uh, they're put into order. And the event that we're talking about right now, the feeding of the 5,000, 
is uh, event number 96, according to their harmony of the Gospels. But listen to this. The event before it, event number 95, is the killing or the murder of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is murdered, event 95. Jesus feeds the 5,000, event number 96. And uh, he's showing his people that he is more than adequate to meet our needs. Now, in life, we have many needs, don't we? Can I have an amen? We have many needs, don't we? It's incredible. We have physical needs. We have emotional needs. We have financial needs. We have relational needs. We have vocational needs. I mean, we're a bunch of needy people. But the Bible does say this uh, in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your what? Need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And here we find that Jesus is showing these people, listen, uh, I know you guys need something to eat, and so I'm going to get it for you. Really, let's let's look at a few points in the outline this morning. First of all, we find that this particular story is an impossible situation. How can all these people be fed? Well, they can't. It's an impossible situation. How many impossible situations do you have in your life? Well, you might say, well, you know, I have three or four of them going right now. They are just impossible. You know, the ministry of the church is about two things. First of all, it's about bringing people to Christ, getting people past the starting line. You know, you can't start the Christian life until you cross the line, until you come to Christ, until you accept him as your personal savior. That's the ministry of the church. The great passion of the church, I remember years ago I got a letter from a pastor of a nearby church in Pittsburgh. At the bottom of his stationery it says, your soul is our soul business. Well, the, the church is in the soul business, it really is. Uh, we want to bring people to Christ. We want to share the good news. We have to get them across the line uh, so that they can begin to walk for Christ. But the ministry of the church is more than that. The second point is this, helping them to meet their needs with Jesus as their source. You know, we come into the church with all of our needs. It's incredible. If, you, if we could open it up, almost like we do on Wednesday night here in the church, and we could begin to share our heart one with another, it's like, whoa. Man, we got a whole church full of people that have a whole lot of needs in this church. And so what we do is we bring all those needs right in here into the church. And so the church is supposed to help you and help me meet our needs, pointing to Jesus as the source of that help. Well, this particular situation right here was an impossible situation. Not only is the ministry of the church about spiritual things, you know, sometimes we, people come with their problems and we say, oh, yeah, read three verses of Scripture and God bless you. And the person says, you know, I need more than three verses of Scripture and God bless you. I need something tangible. I need some help. Well, to hear the Bible teaches that Jesus is concerned about physical needs. And so look at verse number, uh, number two. He performed miracles on those who were diseased. 
If you go back to chapter 5, you'll find that there in chapter 5, Jesus comes across the pool of Bethesda. And there are all sorts of sick people laying around that pool. And there was this one particular person who couldn't walk. And the custom was at that time, is whenever the waters moved, that the first one who was in the pool would be healed. And this man had waited there for years for someone to put him in that pool. At least that's what they thought would happen. And they would be healed. And so Jesus looked down upon this poor soul and he said, what do you want? Do you want to be made well? And of course, the man said, yes. And he said, "Uh, take up your bed and walk. Now, don't let that throw you. That wasn't his Sealy Posturepedic mattress. It was just a little mat, you know, easily. He could roll it up and put it under his arm. He did. He did that. You know, our body is the temple of God. But I'll tell you, it is susceptible to all sorts of sickness and disease. It really is. Uh, I tell people sometimes I feel like a doctor. I mean, a real doctor. Uh, you know, with a stethoscope. Because I go to the hospital so many times. And I, we're always in these hospital rooms and we're always trying to minister to our people physically. We're praying over them. I'm on the phone praying for them. Uh, I, I feel very at home in the hospital. I have to go into the, uh, the emergency room uh, oftentimes or intensive care. Sometimes I can't get in there, but I've learned the tricks. I just follow the doctors in. I just walk like I'm a part of the entourage. And uh, I know the least they, I don't think they would hurt me if they found out. But sometimes I just have to get in there. Uh, we have to deal with people's physical issues. Uh, Dave Dedrick was here a week or so ago on Wednesday night. He's a missionary to Mozambique. And because of all the diseases they have in Africa, the average, the average lifespan is about 35 years of age. I think it was about that in biblical times, too. You just think about how many of us would really be sitting in this church today if it wasn't for the marvels of medicine and doctors that we have in our world. Uh, And so here's Jesus, and everywhere he goes, he sees all these sick people because they don't have any medicine. They don't have any doctors that know how to heal them. And so Jesus has compassion. He's healing these people left and right. And he's amassing this tremendous crowd of people around him. And he has compassion on him, on them. Our Lord is a compassionate God. He really is. I asked somebody in our Saturday night service, what's the meaning of compassion? That's what God is. God is compassionate. Uh, He cares about people. That's someone who feels for somebody in need. And I know that whenever a person comes to Christ, uh, there is a great compassion in our heart for needy people. And so here we find in verse number two that he is concerned about their body, their physical well-being. And another part of that whole story is the fact that he wants to give them something to eat. That's part of life, isn't it? Food for the day. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord taught his disciples, give us this day our daily what? Our daily bread. And this is this. I, I, I just wish I could learn this a long time ago. That my source of daily bread has to be the Lord. The Lord God Almighty. It can't be my company. Sometimes people have troubles in their company. They lose their job. They're mad at God. Well, God is their source, not their company. Uh, 
our company will be here or not here tomorrow. Uh, it can just change, the weather can change like that for our employment. But that's why we as Christians have to look to God as our source. He says, you come and you pray to me. Now, God may use your company for a while. You may use some other company for a while. But he is our ultimate source of our provision. And so Jesus taught his disciples, pray, Lord, provide daily bread. You know, putting food on the table has always been a challenge in life. It really is. When I look back in our life, my life, how scarce food was at certain times. I've said this before to you that, you know, when I grew up as a kid, and I don't want to wear this out, uh, we were poor, but we didn't know it. And, you know, it's kind of nice when you don't know it. You just think oh, half of all the kids in the school, they're just like you. They don't have anything either. Uh, we were poor and didn't know it. And we didn't, but I did know that my mother and dad worked incessantly to put bread on the table. They worked all the time. Uh, whenever Joanne and I got married, I'll tell you what, we didn't have two dimes to rub together for a long, long time. And boy, I'll tell you, we, uh, we literally lived from uh, hand to mouth, from week to week. And when we used to go to the grocery store to get groceries, our kids thought that generic was a brand, like like Del Monte and Heinz. And you know, do you, how many people in the church remember when you go to the grocery store and this one section was generic and it had all the covers on everything were the same? They were black and white. Do you remember that? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, good. Uh, and we got that stuff home, and I thought, oh, you got, I got to eat that. Well, you know, we, we just had to make it work, you know. And so Jesus knows that these people had to be fed. And the bread here spoken of was, uh, there were like pancakes about this big, about as big as your thumb. If you go into the Middle Eastern land, you'll find that's what a loaf of bread looked like. Uh, this was an impossible situation. And you know, God allows impossible situations to come into people's lives to test his people. Now, now follow me here, okay? I'll have to pick this up next week. I'll just introduce it today. God allows impossible situations to come into your life to test your faith, okay? And you know, when I look back through my life, I think, man, I've had a lot of impossible situations. I mean, it just wouldn't work. But it was designed to test my faith, uh, now, this was an impossible situation. Jesus said, how are we going to feed all these people? Now, in order to get the whole story, you have to read each biblical account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have to merge them together to get the whole picture of the story. In Luke's account, Luke 9, 12 through 15, whenever these people were coming, you know what the disciples wanted to do? Let me read it for you. They said, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place. So Jesus is testing his disciples. How are we going to handle this situation? The disciple says, listen, send them away. Send them away. We can't handle this situation. This situation is too big. And so Jesus takes Philip and he draws him out among the disciples to test him further. And he, since he was from the area, he says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
Uh, and in verse 6, it says that he was testing Philip. Philip did not answer that question that the Lord asked him. He tripped to the money side of it all. And he kind of looked over the crowd and he said, man, I think it would take this amount of money to feed all these people just for a little while. Well, you know, there's a difference between temptation and testing in life. And you and I experience both of those things. How many people here have been tempted this last week to do the wrong thing and to say the wrong thing, etc., etc.? Would you raise your hand? If you've been tempted, raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you have another issue. It's called honesty. Okay. Honesty, yeah. All of us are tempted all the time, aren't we? Everywhere we look, it's like there's a temptation. But I want to go on record in the church to say this today. That not only have you been tempted this week, but you have been tested this week. Because there's like a fine line there. Uh, you have been tested this week by God. Now, let's look at this one scripture up here. I think we have time for this. Let's read this together. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I know you've heard people say, God is tempting me. Well, God doesn't tempt anybody. God doesn't tempt you because temptation is a solicitation to do the wrong thing. God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't tempt you. But he does test you. Let's look at that other verse up there. It's John 1.3. Let's read this. But when you are, your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed... You will be strong in character and ready for anything. I love that. I love that. That's God's goal for your life right there. He wants you to be strong in character and ready for what? Anything. That's what testing is all about. Now, I know I don't like to be tested. And I've been through many of them. And so have you. But testing is educational. It's God making you stronger and stronger, giving you an opportunity to use your faith, not just verbalize your faith, but to actually use your faith. Uh, not just say you're a Christian, but be a Christian. See, Not just say you believe this, but actually live by it. When you, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. You know, endurance is all important. It really is. You know, some people are good for the long or the short haul. But, you know, life is a lot longer than that. The Christian life is a lot longer. It takes you all the way to the end. And the only way you can get there is when you have to have the power of endurance. Endurance means that you can bear up under it. And you can carry it. And so when God tests your faith... Your endurance has a chance to grow. See, when you use your faith, then it becomes easier the next time to use your faith. And it becomes easier the next time to use your faith. And the more you use your faith, the more endurance you'll have as a Christian. Uh, the more strength you'll have as a Christian to walk for the Lord. And when it's fully developed, 
You be strong in character and ready for anything. God is building our character. He's trying to make us people of good character. And you know, that takes a long time, doesn't it? He's trying to change our character. From bad character traits to good character traits. And, and so that we'll be ready for anything that the world or the devil throws against us. God is testing our faith. Uh, he's trying to get you to live by your faith. He was trying to get Philip to live by his faith. Uh, when the Lord asked him, where are we going to buy all this food? I think probably Philip failed the test. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with failing a test because I think we fail them a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. But God is, I just want you to keep in your mind that God keeps testing us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't say, okay, you got a C on that one. You got a D on that one. Yeah, we all do that. He keeps trying to develop us throughout our spiritual journey. I think Philip probably failed this test right here. I think he probably should have said, Lord, this is nothing for you. All these people need food. All you have to do is speak the word. Uh, but he said, listen, we don't have enough money to feed these people. Maybe the Lord's testing you today. I'm sure he is if you're a Christian. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask those who are serving communion to come forward, please. And as they do that, I'd like to ask all of us to look into our heart and to see where God is testing.